goes back. It really is. It's hot again. You know, I think people were scared of the abyss a couple weeks ago last month when Bitcoin was trading back in the 30,000s. They don't got to worry about that anymore. Bitcoin's back back at like 56,500. No, it's, it's moved up again. We're over 57,000 a day. I think literally in the past month, or no, month to date, I think, or since it started running, which was literally September 29th, Bitcoin is up 40% about. So there's a lot of momentum there, you know, past the one trillion market cap again. Pomp is crying happy tears, even though he's banned from YouTube and can't, you know, do anything anymore. Uh, still have no idea what that was even about, but he's gone. Ethereum, I think, has been really hot too, if I'm not mistaken. And the fact of the matter is that it's also popped back. It's not really quite where it was in September yet, but it's back at 3,600, so it's obviously performing well at the time of recording this. NFTs are literally popping off as well. A ton of new collections, cool stuff going on. An art gallery sold one for 24 point some million on a board ape, which is kind of nuts if you really think about it. An NFT selling for 24 million is nuts. Shiba Inu coin? Would have given you millions, I think over 200 million if you put $1,000 in a year ago. I know someone that bought a few million and had at least a few million Shiba Inu back in like May, and they're up like thousands and thousands of dollars, which is like crazy. And OpenSea is worth over $10 billion now, or $10 billion the last funding round. So the real question to ask is what the hell is going on? Everything said in the Theta Talk podcast is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. Nothing in this podcast is financial advice, and please talk with a professional investment advisor and do your own research before making any investment decisions. Welcome to Theta Talk, the podcast where you get premium for your time. I'm your host, Strat Becker, the highest priority applicant to Mimida's unpaid internship position on Instagram. I need to buff up my resume, so we're working hard here. Today's, for the first time in a while, we are going to be kind of diving back into the cryptoverse a little bit, and then we're going to be talking a bit more about macro stuff later on in the pod, so stay tuned for that. There's some interesting things that I want to kind of hop onto. I've been very focused on school stuff lately, uh, but I got the time to write on a mini script, so we're going to go a bit more impromptu, talk with the chat, have a good time. Uh, we've been doing pretty well on Spotify, so I want to thank you all for the support there, and let's hop into it. I do want to say, first of all, this is the one thing I really have written down, is the thing I'm most surprised about with the Bitcoin resurgence is how it's broken its correlation with assets that has typically been tied to in performance. Really, if you look at Bitcoin historically, it's been a risk-on asset. So it does well when the market does well. And when the market do- goes down, it also you know underperforms in, in the same time frame. I think really one of the best examples of this uh, is it's, it was pretty closely correlated for a long time with very speculative stocks. When they would do very well, Bitcoin tended to also do well. When they did very bad, Bitcoin would also do bad. It became a weirder dynamic this year with the meme stocks because when meme stocks would do better, Bitcoin would do worse for a while. And it, it, it was an inverse relationship. So if Bitcoin would do better, the meme stocks would do worse. So it's weird to see that play out through the middle of the year. But now there's a break in, in both directions. The S&P and the market in general has been struggling pretty substantially. Uh through September and into October. I mean, you're looking at SPY is currently at 435. It was down back at 431 earlier today at one point. And really not in a good trend, to say to say the least. 
despite having an okay day in, in closing today. NASDAQ as well off its highs and also struggling. Same with the Dow. Russell's probably actually holding up the best on small caps. They've been just stuck in their channel really for, for months and months now. Uh, but those in particular have been lagging. Historically, if you go back to 2020 during the crash, Bitcoin also crashed. You'd expect somewhat of a similar occurrence. That Bitcoin wouldn't move you know, perfectly with these, these tools, but that with the S&P falling, you'd expect weakness in Bitcoin as well based on the historical knowledge that we have. It's not been the case, though. Despite the S&P being down like 5% or so off its highs right now, about that, it's a little less. Like we talked about in the intro, Bitcoin's been soaring. It's up 40% since September 29th. And is getting increasingly close to those all-time highs up at 65000 at 57000 right now. There's been a lot more adoptance of it, you know, as, as a use tool for, for currency and stuff. You know, uh, sports teams, obviously El Salvador since March has made it a, a currency uh, to use among those. But the break in the trend is still surprising, and I think it gives a bit more credence to the Bitcoin bulls that make these arguments about what it is um, that Bitcoin can offer. You know, they say it's a store of value, and I still don't really jive with that very well. But... The fact that it's actually acting as a hedge in some extent against, you know, uh, certain trends gives them a bit more credence in what they're saying. And to the person in chat, Mikey, who's asking, either I'm in a very small room or a closet back in school. Yeah, I'm back in college. Yeah. Don't, don't worry, Mikey. Don't worry, Mikey. I want you to chat during the podcast. It's okay, my man. But, I mean, I think the, the very issue thing is, even though there's not such direct hype around like all these dumb crypto projects popping up, uh, other than the Chiba Inu, which I, I don't understand how the hell a thousand dollars a year ago is two hundred seventeen million a day today. If you got into it, that that still blows my mind to like a super degree. There's a lot more sustainability in some of the things that we're seeing. OpenSea, for example, NFT volumes held. Even though there's been crashes in a lot of projects on NFTs, their prices. I think the Tulip Mania one, that was like, oh god, I think this is going to end badly. And obviously it boomed and then exploded on itself and is doing terribly now. And, I mean, kind of makes sense. But there's increasingly a real sense that people are actually using these as art. As a way to store, you know, art. Instead of just a physical realm. I think some of the, and I think the biggest way to see that is these professional, you know, auction things are really actually hosting auctions and selling NFTs. And I think that's kind of the break because it's being accepted as a way to actually do these things. So the people that are getting ahead of on this now, I think are you know, having really good access to potentially long-term field. I've been seeing someone developing an app on Twitter actually, and I have a huge amount of respect for them doing this even though I'm not into NFTs personally. They're making an app called Floor. And the app is a way for you to track what your portfolio of NFTs is worth. So show like the floor price for, for the projects and NFTs that you have and really give you a better sense, despite the illiquidity of those assets, what the value of what you're holding is actually worth in a way. And I think that's so, so, so cool. Even though I'm not, you know, someone that owns any crypto uh, or is really involved in this stuff, seeing people actually make these things and that the ecosystems around it grow is something I very, very, very highly respect. Of course, there's the memes. There's been a, a ton of memes on social media about crypto in the past couple months, particularly the past couple weeks now since it's come back. Um, you know, Jamie Dimon yesterday saying that crypto, like Bitcoin, is worthless. 
and the last time he said, like, you know, proceeded like a massive run up in, in Bitcoin's price. Ironic, I guess. But I think you can personally believe those things don't have value, but understand that other people think they have value, and that makes them something that's worth monitoring. Soldier Boy in chat saying base diamond Pepe laugh. Yeah, it's funny. And I, I get it. It's pretty it's pretty funny. But I can think that NFTs are stupid and worthless. My opinion doesn't matter if other people think it's actually worth something, though. And that's why even though I don't like NFTs, the fact that so many other people do and are willing to use them means that it's worth me keeping an eye on them and seeing what opportunities lie there. Because other people thinking it's worth something means it's worth something. Now, how much it is, got to do more work to find that out. So I was saying Bitcoin's worthless. Oh, by the way, we're investing in Bitcoin. Yeah, the funniest part about the Jamie Dimon thing is him saying Bitcoin is worthless while JP Morgan has a $100 plus thousand Bitcoin price target. Like, dude, come on, man. Can we be real here for a second? It, it's, there's a lot more that you gotta, I guess, have on, on the integrity side. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's pretty, it's, it's, it's funny that this firm says that, but he thinks it differently. But as long as he's making money on it, I guess, for the, the company, it's doing well. Speaking of JP Morgan, though, I am a little concerned about some of the news that they came out with today. And I'll talk about that right after addressing this comment from Tay, who says, next to dorm, front door, next to, this is the, this is into the apart, like, this is into the apartment. You know, the kitchen and stuff, you know, the living room. All the bathroom doors are literally to the right of that, right over there. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but as I was saying, I'll pull up the, uh, the chart for this, at least for the live viewers. There's some of the things that was coming up in JP Morgan's earnings that I was not a fan of. Who's outside the door? No one. I am particularly concerned with the loan numbers that they came up. There's a reason JP Morgan... Sold off two and a half today. Bank stocks got their rally up. They were going to new highs because yields were finally rising up again. Right? Ten-year. After the, the dot plot, you know, the ten-year broke out from 1.3 to 1.6. Big, big move. Right? Actually meant something. It was going to be pretty serious. Big considerations there for a little bit about how people are going to have to approach these things. So they anything different. Now, yields point back a little bit. I don't really care about that much because only one day. But the data JP Morgan gave, I was not alike. They got me particularly concerned about some more domestic things that I wasn't as concerned about before. I always thought for the whole summer, and I still mostly believe in this thesis, that the biggest risk to the stock market in the U.S. economy right now is not, you know, uh, the U.S. itself, but abroad. Because... Hiring generally remained strong, and PMI numbers, output and stuff, remained well above expectations at every time frame. However, what I was particularly concerned about and, and more developing in the past week is the unemployment numbers in September weren't good. In a normal time period, 200,000 jobs a month is fine. Right now, it's not, when we need to add more back. And the larger problem is unemployment should not have dropped the way it did unless more people left the workforce. People stopped looking for work. At the same time, there's a record amount of people quitting their jobs. The, the, this is the best job market for you know, people that are, want better pay. 
right? Best job for, for raises, everything like that, right? On an economic level, though, the people dropping out of the workforce kind of leaves a shadow unemployment rate that's higher than the real unemployment rate, right? That and JP Morgan showing their year-over-year -year loan numbers were down. That particular part from JP Morgan's earnings is what flashes to me a little bit is, okay, what's going on here, right? Because last summer was the midst of the second wave of COVID. And the economy was struggling a lot. And you could say, oh, well, the banks are getting some boom because they're being encouraged to loan out. But why would they be making less from, you know, actually loaning out money to consumers now in this environment, right? If they're struggling or, or being more conservative with how they're is like issuing credit now in this market, that makes me a bit cons more concerned considering all the international stuff that's going on. Sunbird Sushi says in the chat, government's now saying things are fine, which means things are not fine. I think there's some level, there's a level of sarcasm in, in how like we kind of approach the memes with that. I do think, and this kind of rolls into what I just want to talk about a little bit, because everyone's freaking out about the energy crisis. And this is kind of tied in a little bit with what we have to deal with for uh, all these things, because the hiring stuff, everyone's concerned about energy prices being way, way higher this year for the winter. Uh, and Tay saying as well about the job thing, way more retirees and people who drop out due to COVID for most reasons. You're completely correct about that, Tay. But if people are dropping out now because they can't find work that they find suitable for the amount of pay they want, they make to me concerned about the longer because the longer you're out of the workforce, if those aren't permanent retirees, the longer you're out, it's hard. The harder it is to get back in, right? Especially now with the sh and there's other issues going on too. The strikes right now, the the Southwest strike. There's so so many canceled strikes over the weekend, or canceled flights. Southwest got literally hammered to the floor because of what they're having to deal with. An entire tower walked out. You're right, Soldier Boy, when you're saying that. It was huge and important. Not being covered enough, but this stuff has real impacts. But the other thing I really want to bring up with this is I'm sure everyone's been hearing oil is at a seven-year high. You know, natural gas is at an almost 10-year high. Energy costs this winter are going to be crazy. What I'm honestly a little concerned about, looking a little bit more today, is an overcorrection. I think things might get too tilted towards fear of lack of supply, and then there's actually too much supply. I know there's some things to keep in mind, and if I can find it, I will. It was a couple days ago at least when I actually found this. No, it's, it's, I, I don't have it here. But there was something showing you know, very low stockpiles on some things. However, it is supposed to be a relatively warm winter on the forecast for almost the entire continental 48 and for multiple consecutive weeks on a continuing basis where there's been expected to be a shrinkage in uh, oil storage or a very small build the API numbers have shown way way bigger builds for example last week was expected a hundred fifty thousand dollar or hundred fifty thousand barrel build and it turned out to be nine hundred plus thousand this week was expected to be a 500 barrel build, and it was a 5.4 million barrel build. So while everyone's freaking out about the shortages and stuff right now, which valid, and thank you for making me have to spend more money at the gas pump as a result, there is a chance, and I wouldn't call it, it's a non-zero chance, I wouldn't necessarily call it a probability or anything that will actually happen, though. It's worth keeping back in the mind, if things don't materialize the right way, and of course, We've seen it can be a warm winter and then you have an extreme weather event that causes insane power demand and it screws everything up. 
That was standing. If demand doesn't materialize the way it's anticipated to, and you're having builds like this now, then you're in a situation where some of these commodities are very, very overpriced compared to what the, the realized demand is, right? And if that happens, then oil back at 62 seems more realistic than oil at 81, right? What a difference two months can bring or a month and a half can bring. I think that's worth keeping in mind as we kind of navigate our waters through this, uh, as it is complicated and no one knows what's actually going to happen. Greetings from the compound from Precious Carnage. Good evening. Hope you've enjoyed the pod tonight. We just finished wrapping up a, just a little bit of energy discussion, at least. Um, been doing the work. Having a good time. I'm going over some of these. This is a bit more about crypto, too. I want to hop back to this really quick, and then we'll talk a bit more about macro stuff. Gas fees are insane now in Ethereum again. Like, you thought the summer was bad for gas fees? Get a look at this. So we're trying to mint an NFT and, you know, 0.3 Ethereum for it. To mint 0.3 Ethereum worth costs 3.43 Ethereum gas. So they want to list something that's like for like a thousand bucks. They have to pay 13,000 to list it almost or 12,000 to list. It's it's crazy. I like can we? I know Solana summer was here. Can we get like a Solana winter uh, to kind of save this? You know, can we can we just have like Solana go to like 500 and have everyone use Solana instead so it doesn't cost as much? I don't know. I don't, I don't even trade crypto, so I'm just saying that sarcastically. But point stands at least there. Some crazy stuff within here. Also, catching with Facebook again. We talked about Facebook last week. We talked about it in August when I said I thought they were entering cyclical decline. I really agreed with this. Or not just agreed with the prediction, but the insight from uh, this user as well. And he actually speaks with companies. Talking about how they've been pulling back on their ad spend materially means a lot. Because we already know Facebook's amount of ads served year over year is declining. The only reason they saw ad revenue grows because CPMs grew. But if there's an overglut out in how people are spending their ad spending, and now there's a pullback on it, then Facebook runs into more problems with actual profitability and stuff like that. So I just wanted to bring that up. Uh, however, on the macro side, and we, we have talked a lot about uh, China International, like I said, I still personally believe the largest risk uh, for macro isn't still U.S. domestically, but abroad and how that can impact domestic. I think this is pr a pretty important one because uh, it really shows how bad the stress within the industrial sector and construction sectors in China have gotten. It's the daily steel production chart, right? And you can see the 15, 16th scare, right? Everyone remembers that. Then you go back to the pretty good growth. You see this is the trade war concern. Here's COVID. And they're back booming. And now it's gone. I'm approaching minus 15% year-over-year growth in, in output and production. Very, very bad sign, especially because Evergrande's missing their bond notes. Cynic's going to default. We know that now. A lot of Fantasia is going to default. We know that now. A lot of the whole sector, which was looking fine in June, is facing all this stress. And how that can trickle out is still something that's worth keeping an eye on. For example, the divergence, and thank you for uh, Sophia for, for pointing this out, the divergence between the actual high-yield bond spread and the volatility for China is crazy, right? Some of this, these things are, are, are completely nuts on, on the divergently spread. The spreads on these like bond ETFs in China are just continuing 
to explode upwards. If I pull up 3001, which is a a bonnie, property bond ETF, this thing has capitulated completely. You went from pretty stable in, in the summer to losing over like a quarter of its value. Just like that. Uh, Sushi's asking, are you... Are they saying why steel production is stopping? My other company that produces marine steel for luxury boats keeps getting shut down. I think there's a two-prong issue on the on the, the steel thing. One for China for output, demand's drying up because these leveraged property developers are trying to go bust or facing insolvency, and then they can't actually finish what they're trying to do. Right, the 51% buyout of Evergrande uh, for 6.2 billion USD is to finish buildings, not to pay out debt holders. Right. It's for social stability rather than economic health, right? The other issue, other than you know actual demand for, for the materials to construct, is energy. While in the U.S., you know, we're actually having these un unexpected builds in stockpile, in China, they're facing massive shortages to the point where coal prices have shopped so far that coal manufacturers lose money whenever they have to produce power because the government has a price ceiling. And they're in a fight with the government in China over that. Because they produce, they lose money. And they don't want to lose money, so they're refusing to produce. And that creates a shortage. A lot of factories shut down. Then there's massive floods that shut down even more production, took it offline. And that creates even larger issues on supply. Shoots the price up more, fight intensifies. Someone's getting to bend there. Nobody knows which yet, right? Yeah, it's wild. There was, I forget which provinces, I think it was in southern China, where there's big, big flooding. Uh, last week that actually had pretty big impacts. I can see if I actually pull it up in my text history here uh, with my friend who I send the newsletter stuff to. I think I sent it last week, so I'm going to just scroll through our text history real quick and pull it up. I, it was a, a thread I showed. Yeah, it was in Shanxi province. You know, that's northern China, sorry. Uh, Shanxi province shut down 27 coal mines uh, due to the raining and flooding going on there. 27 coal mines and 99 non-coal mines, to be exact. So big, big issue. Yeah, they're having a big issue getting things out of factory because they keep losing power, as some Bertucci is saying. You're completely correct about that. Because a lot of factories have been shut down because the power companies are refusing to provide power because they lose money whenever they do it, right? It's a big WTF moment, right? However, if you were to go to major indices and go to the Hang Seng, you would not know that this has been a particularly big issue within the past, you know, couple weeks. Because since the start of October, the index is up like 4%, right? It's up a lot since the start of the month, even though the spreads on, on high-yield credit are exploding outwards. Well, volatility remains muted. It's kind of like, you know, the, the, the Jaws thing that you like to, that they mention a lot in finance, you know, where things diverge and one, it's going to have to snap back one way or the other, right? So does it snap back with, uh, you know, the, the spreads collapsing or does volatility spike all the way up, right? Keep in mind, spreads on these high-yield bonds are way, way higher than they were during the COVID crash. So keep that in mind as well when you're looking at that. Really, really more dangerous things, at least in that regard, which are worth keeping an eye out on because even though I think if you use like US steel stocks, right, they've mostly 
continue to struggle. But like, for example, this is one I'm, I have a credit spread on, full disclosure, a single one. So I have like $100 at max in the line. This has been bouncing back pretty heavily, right? Despite the continuing woes and, and issues, right? They, they have 60% exposure to Asia. They're still performing okay now. They're, they're trying to bounce back out of this. You know, tech, which is another one that's mostly, you know, American, but relying on materials, has broken out to new highs, right? At, at least, you know, new highs since the COVID crash, per se, right? So there's a lot of, you know, divergences between market behavior right now that bring up a lot of interesting questions and in how they should be handled, right? It feels more and more like a risk-off environment with how weak some of the market's been, you know? But at the same time, yields aren't at the point where they'd be attractive on their own anyways. So it's a conundrum, and I do think for those that are a bit more concerned about, you know, the economic stability, they have valid concerns. I wouldn't just toss them at the window and say, eh, you know, you're, you're saying nothing. Because some of these things, especially abroad things, aren't something that, oh, the printer can fix, right? If China, for example, I said this before in my pod, slows from 6%, grows to 3, 2 to 3% for a couple years, Asia-Pacific economy as a whole, Australia, Japan, South Korea, etc., trickles out, see major, major ramifications. Europe, which has a lot of uh, credit exposure to Asia, would be tighter with credit. You know, for example, HSBC, it's just one example, of course, has 20% of their market cap almost in evergreen bonds that are not going to get paid out, probably. So just an example of that, if they tighten their credit, that has more impact on, on the U.S. So it's, you have to take a broad-based outlook on, on how to, you know, kind of view and assess such things, right? All in all, Sunbird Sushi saying it smells like correction coming. We haven't had a 10% correction in the S&P. Did we even hit 10% last September? I'm, I'm, I'm zooming on this to the math. Did we hit 10 for peak to trough? We did, on a closing basis, we did not. Did we? Hold up. I, I gotta zoom on this to do this perfectly. I gotta nail this. On a closing basis, we never actually hit correction on the S&P, on the SPY at least. Maybe on the index, but not the uh, this. Intraday we did, but we didn't actually close there, right? And then this was actually a higher low, so it, it wasn't a correction. So we technically haven't had a, a, a full-on correction since pff, the COVID crash. <laughs> It doesn't have to be exactly. It doesn't have to be exactly ten percent. It can be, just be a sentiment change. To be fair, that's what Soldier Boy's saying. Uh, I do agree with you. It doesn't have to be ten percent to be a correction, right? It, like that. That's just like figure of speech, basically. It's just like the technical. If the sentiment change is worthy of correction, you could you could argue it. I wouldn't call this a correction so far because we're literally down from peak to trough was six, and we're currently down four, right? Like, this, this is not a correction itself, but it is a waning in bullish sentiment, the fact that this is prolonged for over a month when prior things have been a couple days most in the snapback. It's going to correct to 3.30. That would not be a correction. That would be a full-on bear market, my man. Clav, that would be a lot more than just a correction. I'll tell you that. However, I did see an interesting note. Uh, that I do think is valid to bring up as well, and this is about, you know, margin growth and, and success for companies going forward, that the ability for companies to expand their margins the way they have in the past year and a half is going to be a lot more difficult going forward because the inflationary trends have allowed them to, to pad their margins, especially when their inputs come down, they pad their margins a lot more. 
that trend won't really continue. It's a lot more of a, you know, a transitory factor in terms of how it impacts companies. And the ability to get outsized margin growth like that, unless it's something a company's actively doing with its business model uh, or, or operations in a way that leverage them in such a way, is going to be minimized. So supernatural growth for an EPS is, is going to wane down, so that obviously means expected returns are, are going to be weighing down. Um, and I think it's important to consider uh, current asset valuations as well, especially with yields coming up. And then you have sentiment about a recession reaching the highest level it's been since uh, March of last year, too. So a lot more concern now about a recession than before. And even though I think just based on the domestic stuff alone, it'd be completely overconflated, because I do think, and I probably fairly so in my opinion, that the U.S. economy remains strong, our output remains strong. I am slightly concerned about some of the things labor-wise, um, but those are mostly trends that are you know, so social and not that, oh, places aren't hiring, right? So that limits my concern there. However, the loan numbers for J.P. Morgan do raise that flag for me. So I wouldn't say I'm all peaches and roses, but I don't think that this would be as much of a direct risk uh, to the U.S. economy rather than you know, other issues that come from abroad, right? I think that makes sense. Labor participation rate, yeah, I know it's low, and that's a problem. I don't think that caused an immediate, you know, or, or near-term issue, but labor participation rate, Clavington mentioned being so low, needs to push up. They need to engage that, especially with how many hirings out there right now. How the S&P do during the Cold War, it went up. SPY only goes back to the 90s, so I can't use that for you, but use the SPX. During the Cold War... Let's see, the Cold War ended in around here-ish. Uh, go to 91. Spies at 380 then, right? Or the S&P, 380. At the start of the Cold War in 45, the S&P was uh, at like 10. So it did pretty well during the Cold War. Is that like 10 or 12? Under Under 20. So it did pretty well during the Cold War, I'll tell you that. It's probably the biggest reason to buy the dip ever, holy hell. Credit where it's due then there. Lux saying, ah, wow, Cold War, Psh, those scammers. Okay, checks out, you're going 0% cash as vanilla. No, I, I, look, investing and saving over the long term is one of the most responsible things you can do and set yourself up for a better future, in my opinion. I don't think that means all of a sudden just you see a long-term trend be like, okay, I'm dumping everything in right now, you know? I'm not giving financial advice, Mr. Vanilla. The disclaimer on this podcast literally says nothing here is financial advice, and please do your own research and consult with a professional before making any investment decision, all right? We're just talking the markets together. And don't get your gambling chips pressed as carnage, all right? Time in the market is better than time in the markets is clapping. That's, you're literally reading the quote backwards. That's backwards. It's time in the market beats timing the market. Despite the risks that may outline. Because at the end of the day, we're only down 4% from the highs. And if you're looking decades out, you'll be okay. Unless things stall out for four years. In which case, then maybe not. But, hey, we're here for a good time, not a long time, right? Thanks so much for being around here today, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Um... Make sure to follow Spotify or Apple Podcasts for more. We're trying to push these out every week on Thursdays right now. Just have a good time with them. Uh, I will be on some other streams more often in the future because I can only stream really here and record these podcasts once a week uh, in my dorm. But I can participate in other things a lot more easily due to uh, just being able to get a study room on campus or whatever, right? 
So keep an eye out for me through other things on Twitch uh, and other uh, websites. Um, and I will be trying to do some more social media stuff. I know I'm going to get some shout outs there. So I got to put the effort in to actually make it worthwhile for them uh, and put the effort in to be an informative and, and helpful person. I hope the podcast was good for you tonight. And I hope you have a great week. Take care.